If you would, turn with me just real quickly to a passage of Scripture that I want us to start off in hearing this morning to prepare your hearts for this sermon. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And I want to read this because I want you to know that I think that this passage, though I know he's talking about his apostleship here, I think there's an application to your elders in this case as well. I think this passage sums up the heart's posture of your elders here and our thankfulness to Christ, our great shepherd, for shepherding our souls as we seek to be under shepherds and guiding your souls to Christ. So listen to this again. I think this is the posture of every elder here today. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll add my amen to this in regards to. This is the desire of your pastors. We want to serve you as we are being cared for by the king of ages. As he is shepherding our souls, we want to serve you in a way that points you past us to him, our great shepherd, the chief shepherd of the church. And, and now that I've, I've came to what I want to talk to you about a little bit, let me just tell you why I want to talk about this this morning. It's going to be an unusual message in this regard because it will be more of a survey of our ecclesiology this morning. This this month is November. It means the year is almost up. And it's amazing to me to think about that, but it's it's here, right? We've got less than two months left in this, this year. And every year I, I try to deliver to you at some point a message of pastoral recommitment. And I want you to understand that I do this this morning so that you are reminded of why we function the way we do here at Sovereign Grace, so that ultimately the chief shepherd is glorified. We are but servants of Christ, pointing you to him who is the great shepherd. But as I share these, these commitments that we have as elders, I want you to also understand we're doing this as a survey of, of our ecclesiology so that you would have a better understanding of how you can partner with us in this labor. And I beg you, pray for us as we endeavor to do this as faithful under shepherds. And I was reminded of why I need to do that last month. Last month was Pastoral Appreciation Month, and, and many of you have graciously acknowledged that to us personally, and, and we want to thank you for that. But this week, as I was thinking about it, and that passage I read in particular from Timothy, I began to think about how, how I would like to express appreciation to the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the way he shepherds us as elders and teaches us to shepherd you well to point back to him. Because we, we all know in this church, and I, I pray that you know this, we are but men 
Yet Christ is supreme. He is the great shepherd of our souls. And he is the one who is ultimately protecting this church and providing for this church. And he does that through our many gifted under shepherds. And we know that. But ultimately, we want him to be praised. Right. So today, that's what I want to do. I want to express thanks to Jesus, our chief shepherd. And I want to do that by helping you consider why our leadership functions the way it does here at Sovereign Grace. And I want to do that for two different reasons. One, I want to do that because I want to recommit to you what our pastoral commitments and convictions are. And I also want to do this because there are many people who are new to Sovereign Grace who have been here for at least a year or maybe longer, and you need to be brought up to speed as to why we believe in particular in a functional plurality of elders that are committed to serving you and one another as co-equals servants of Christ. That is a, a rare thing to find in many places today. And I want to tell you why we do it this way and what it should commit us to and what you should examine in our lives as we endeavor to do this. And I think it's necessary for us to be reminded of these things and understand why it is we function this way. I think it's necessary because I believe that if you have a wrong understanding of God's ordained will and care for his church regarding leadership, I don't think you'll be able to see the beauty of our great shepherd's loving care for his precious bride, the church. If you misunderstand why we do what we do or how we do what we do, you won't see truly what God is intending to do in his ultimate care for you through these mere under shepherds. And I never want to fail to give Christ thanks for what he's done, for what he provides to us by his grace and through his word. And so we're going to do a survey of many passages this morning. But I want to begin by just looking at a few from Jeremiah to put our minds in remembrance of these things that God has promised that he would provide to us by his grace and through his word and even through his under shepherds. In Jeremiah, you can turn to chapter three. Verse 15 to begin with, and then we'll jump to Jeremiah chapter 23 and look there at verses 3 and 4. But first of all, we see in in these passages how our good shepherd promised us to provide protection and nourishment through the under shepherds that he would raise up and call into the ministry. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. This is a promise from God to his people. He will give you shepherds. Under shepherds. To provide for you and nourish you. And then in Jeremiah 23, 3, it says. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Saints, our, our good shepherd promised these things to us. He will protect and he will nourish us. And the prophet Jeremiah is reminding us of that. He's reminding us that that God promises to care for his sheep. And he does so in particular ways. And we see those ways expounded on and explained in the writings of the apostles in the New Testament. Here in the New Testament, God shows us how he would actually 
raise up and qualify and send out men who would actually be his under shepherds in Christ's stead here on earth until he comes. So we're going to begin by looking at a few of those New Testament passages, the writings of the apostles here. And we're going to begin with the apostles Paul and Peter by going to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Beginning in verse 11, the apostle Paul writes this, But as for you, O man of God, the key phrase, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge or I command, charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Here we have words from God through the Apostle Paul telling us as men of God what we must do. We must take our role seriously. We must flee things that, that detract us from what God's called us to do ultimately. We must pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and fight the good fight of the faith. Saints, we see that happening in the leadership in our church, and to God be the glory. It is wonderful to hear men who are gifted doing this and living this out. And saints, that is a direct blessing from the Lord Jesus himself. The great shepherd of our souls. As Christ is lifted up, as Paul preached last week, as Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn to him and people will be cared for by him. And he'll do that caring through his ordained means, which are given to us in the New Testament. And it begins with the means of raising up men of God. Men of God who will do these things that we're seeing here under this charge in the presence of God himself with fear and trembling and humility. And brokenness at times. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. In 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. We are given a great charge here. Shepherd the flock of God. <laughs> I think you all know us well enough by now to know that we, we understand that you are not our church, your Christ church. We are under his ever watching and sovereign eye as we care for you and take up this charge. And we must do it willingly, eagerly, and not in a domineering way. But we should also do it in a way that sets an example for you to follow as we follow Christ. That is our goal. And here the, the apostles are telling us that God, our, our great shepherd, he wants this to take place in particular ways, in carefully considered ways. Our great shepherd here tells us that his sheep must be instructed and must be protected. And it must be done by the men he raises up. And he calls these men, and we would say it this way, under shepherds, because Christ is the ultimate shepherd of the church. 
And, and we learn, I think, by reading these kind of passages that, that God ordained these men to a very particular role, a very, if you will, from my perspective, a frightening role. He's called us to be men of God. And that phrase, man of God, from Timothy, is a very unique phrase. And I think we use it a lot of times flippantly, and we don't understand really the intent that it was given here in this passage and in the passages of the New Testament. And when you do, it begins to lay a heavy burden on those of you who are called, my brother elders, to serve as men of God. It also makes you very aware of your weakness and your need for sovereign grace. The term man of God is an Old Testament term. And it's used in the Old Testament to describe men who were called to be God's instruments used for his holy service, his sanctified service, his sacred service. And this term in the New Testament is only used in regard to pastoral service. Nothing else, no one else. That term, man of God, is only applied to those who are called into eldership. But what you see in this is he's calling certain men in particular to stand out and stand up and speak up to give the saints an example to follow because he set them apart to a holy service. We are not our own. We belong to Christ and our service belongs to him as well. And we want to exercise it well for his glory and for your good as part of our commitment to you. And this God-ordained service, I think, is, is really fleshed out more and more as you read the New Testament. And, and if you haven't studied the pastoral epistles, you should. I think you could study First and Second Timothy and Titus and include First Peter in those because I think that they're very helpful for you to understand how this service that we're called into as your elders is fleshed out through the apostles' doctrine in the New Testament. That this subject is, is something God takes seriously. And he wants us to take it seriously and rejoice in it greatly. He wants the saints to rejoice in Christ, the great shepherd who gives you shepherds to guard your soul and to guide you into the word and protect you. But those of us who are called into this know that this this ministry is not to be entered into lightly. It is a weighty calling. And it's weighty because pastors have, have been given the weightiest honor and duty in the world. We as elders are called to care for Jesus's blood-bought bride, the church, you in particular. And in light of that, in light of that great weightiness and truth, we know that we are incapable to do that on our own. We don't have the strength. We don't have the internal integrity on our own. All that comes from God. For your good. When you see anything good come through the pastoral ministry of this church, you know that that's Jesus at work through weak and broken vessels so that he gets the glory. So as pastors, we we must rely on the strength of our Savior that works in us, not in our own strength, our own abilities, our own cleverness. We rely on his work in us that is conforming us more and more to his image as we submit more and more to his word and to the duty we're called into. And we know that this duty we're called into is a work that is beyond us, beyond our human strength. It requires spiritual discipline that we don't have on our own. It requires sacrificial love that we don't have on our own. We're just as greedy for our own time as you are. Yet God has given us this burden For your care that sometimes overwhelms us. 
And it's not because we are great men, but we have a great God who cares for you. And he gives us this commission to take seriously. We all know as elders that our duty is beyond human strength. And and every true pastor knows that our calling requires God's supernatural grace if we're going to carry it out faithfully to the end. How many men have we seen in the recent years that have not carried it out faithfully to the end because they relied on their own strength, their own means, their own popularity, their own celebrity status? We appreciate that you appreciate us. However, we don't need to be pumped up. Christ needs to be exalted. We must decrease so that Christ would increase in the work that's being done in our church. And you know that in my heart and and in the hearts of all the elders here that we consider this a privilege to serve you. But it is a weighty privilege. And it's one that, that we should take seriously for sure. But it's one you should take seriously as well. And it's also one that you should examine carefully as we are called to serve you carefully. You should examine our duties and our delights in doing it carefully so that Christ would be exalted and so that we would not be exalted in the process. And the reason we need to take this so seriously, I think, is found in 1 Timothy 4. And there you'll see that we, we have this great calling, but there's also great responsibilities that come with it. This weighty calling is one that that tells us that we are called, as Christ under-shepherds, we are called to be personal examples of Christ's love to the church. Christ says, this is what you're called to do, and he will give you the strength according to his grace and his word to do the duty you're called into. It's it's an, an interesting passage because he's telling us here that pastors are called to be personal examples, and the word he uses for examples is typos. Typos. And it was a word that was ascribed to a tool that was used to make a deep impression on a parchment. It left an indelible mark that could be read by others later. And he's saying that the pastor's role is to leave an indelible mark of Christ's love and protection on the church so that they can follow that pattern in their own lives personally. Not just listen to a man speak about it from a pulpit corporately, but they could follow that pattern of life and doctrine throughout their lives as it takes them to Christ, the ultimate shepherd of our soul. Look at it, Look what it says here in first Peter four, verse 12. And in this, there is a seriousness that we need to feel as elders, but there's also a call upon you to examine us as we lead you in this role. And the, re- the reason I'm bringing a lot of this up is I grew up in a lot of churches that anybody who wanted to be a pastor just basically got up here and did it. And people began to just almost idolize the preachers and not hold them accountable to the things that they're called to do. And I never want us to be guilty at this church of not calling you to examine those who lead you and making sure we're making a, an impression on you that points to Christ that you can follow. First Timothy 4.12 let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, a typos. In other words, set an example in the way you speak, right? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Then he says, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which you have been given by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. 
immerse yourself in them so that here's why you do this so that all may see your progress. You need to be seeing progress in us in these areas. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save, or the word is rescue, both yourself and your hearers. So what he's telling us here is is we as elders are needing to make progress. Progress spiritually in such a way that it can be seen by you personally. We must make progress that can be seen, that can be felt, that can be made evident to this church. You need to be able to see progress in our private life and progress in our public ministry. You need to see progress in our private life, in our speech, in our conduct, our love, our faith, and our personal holiness in regards to our own families and those that we love and care for personally. You need to see it and see that there's evidence of it in our ministry publicly. Are we faithfully reading the word of God to you? Holding it up high, explaining the text in light of the context and not for a proof text. Are are we applying the word to you by calling you to be responsible for the truths that you've heard so that you would walk them out in a way that honors Christ and serves even the lost? That's what you need to be examining when you think about the men of God who are called to care for you. It has to be evident that we are doing this this way. We can't truly be called men of God if we're not setting an example for you to follow. Because when when we're called to do this, I think what Paul is saying here is pastoral progress is essential. Personal progress is essential. Just because the man has the title pastor, which, by the way, is not a title. We'll get to that later. Because he's called pastor doesn't mean he has achieved this pinnacle of holiness all of a sudden and he can do no wrong. You know, he can do plenty of wrong. We know that. But this role that we've been given is given so that it can be examined by the word of God and by the church itself to see if we're doing this well as under shepherds that point to Jesus and honor him in our service. And he's telling us that we should do this. You should be able to see progress in this because pastoral progress is ordained by God to give the church a personal example to follow. And so when I think about that, this is what strikes me. I've been in churches and we see churches like this. They're mega churches. You got one guy speaking. He preaches. He walks down, gets in his car and he goes home. But he's our pastor. Do you even know what your pastor does on Sunday afternoon? Do you know anything about him personally? Does he spend time with you? Is he close to you? You you can't follow the commands given here in 1 Timothy 4 to make progress publicly and personally with the church if you're not connected to the church. You can't show up on Sunday, expect after you're preaching that you're done and you go home. That's not what this calling is about. If you think that's it, you're not called to pastoral ministry, period. This calling is a calling that magnifies Jesus. He didn't talk to his 12 disciples and say, hey, guys, I'm done for the day. It's time for me to check out. He labored with them late in the night, rose early in the morning to pray for them. He spent time with them personally. And so when we think about pastoral progress, what we need to understand is that true shepherds must be like Jesus. They must stay near the sheep. I heard Mark Dever say it this way. Shepherds should smell like sheep. That's true. If you're a shepherd, you will smell like sheep. 
Because you spend time with your sheep. You know them by name. The sheep should be able to follow their pastor's example, his life and his doctrine. That's what Paul is calling for here in this weighty commission here to Timothy. So what that means on a practical level is, as I said, you can't just come, do your duty, go home, check out. And it also means that pastors can't live in ivory theological towers either. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't study. A true pastor must be a teacher. And so it means you must be balanced in your study and in your labors with people. Pastors must dedicate time to study, to pray. They must do that, but they must remember they are to do this in order to care for Christ's people. And do so personally and do so compassionately, even sacrificially, because that's what Christ did for us and continues to do. We must study. That's a given. If a guy tells me he's a pastor, but he he doesn't like to teach, he's not a pastor. If he doesn't like to study, he's not a pastor. If you're going to feed people, you need to know how to make the menu right. You need to know how to deliver this food to them accurately. So we have to study hard. But here's why. We study hard so that we can we can biblically care for you. We, we study hard so that we can comfort you when you weep personally. We, we study hard and we stay near you so that we can correct you faithfully when you drift away from the truth. And, and we, we labor patiently, personally with you so that not only do we correct you at the time, but we can celebrate with you when you repent because we know the battle has been conquered by Christ because we were there with you in it. This is what pastors are called to do. This is what our great shepherd has done for us. And for us to do this, it means that pastoral ministry and pastoring in general requires more than just preaching and teaching, not less, but more than that it requires more than that. If we're going to take up this divine mandate to love the people that we're called to preach to. That's really what a pastor is supposed to do. If, if you can preach to people and never have any affection for them, you're not called to be a pastor. How can you say you're a reflection of Jesus if you don't get to know the sheep that he purchased with his own blood? And why wouldn't you want to know them? They have many gifts to serve you with as well. We need to be laboring with you as pastors. Examine us to see if we're doing that. Examine to see if we labor with you personally, sacrificially, joyfully, and do it all for God's praise and glory at the end of the day. But do we do this? Examine us to see that. That's, that's what we desire to do. Though we fall short, our Savior never will. He is able to raise up broken men and make them men of God by His grace. We see that happen when, when churches actually have pastors, leaders that, that care for them correctly and follow God's word and love the ones that they are preaching and caring for. We see God doing amazing things to glorify his name and to care for his sheep. We see that like in Acts 2 and Acts 20. But let's go to both of those at this time. Acts 2, Acts 2, verse 42 what we see in these two places we're going to look at this morning are really a pattern of pastoral care in a personal way to God's people. And pastors have to follow this pattern faithfully. We can never deviate from this. You'll never see in the apostles' writings 
where the pastors come in and deliver their message or bring their leadership skills into application and then walk away from the congregation. No, they're they're involved. They're immersed, if you will, with the people in the labor that God is doing through the church. But in Acts 2:42, we read this. The ones who had received the word, the ones that were saved, baptized, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. So one, one thing we can see in that real quickly is somebody was teaching. The leaders were teaching the apostles doctrine and the church was devoted to it because it's being taught faithfully and the, they were devoted to the fellowship. So there was interaction. So the, the leaders weren't just teaching. They were interacting with the congregation. They were laboring alongside them, breaking of bread and the prayers as a result of this combination of ministry, personal and public ministry. It says awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. It wasn't just the church showing up and the pastor gets there 20 minutes late, does his thing and goes home. No, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received the food with glad and generous hearts. There is joy in this service of the church. That is a beautiful picture of what it should look like. And one that I see every Sunday and Wednesday in this church. This is the most unique congregation I've ever had the privilege of serving. We dismiss at 12 o'clock today and we're here till one. Just in fellowship and rejoicing. That is the work of God, saints, our great shepherd. That they were glad and had generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, the, the people in the surrounding area. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, through this combination of personal and public ministry, Christ's under-shepherds were caring for these people in such a way that they were joined together in this work that God was doing in the world to reach his elect and bring them in one by one through the ministry of the church, working as one as they submit to the under-shepherd who submits to Christ, the ultimate shepherd. Now go to Acts 20. We have to follow the directions here as well as elders and take this as weighty as it is. And understand that we want to apply the apostles teaching. We must be committed to these things and teach these things so that the church would be equipped and the saints would be growing in the truth and Christ would be glorified. But we have to understand that this is an important aspect of the ministry. It's not just teaching you, but it's laboring with you in personal easy times and personal hard times. So he tells the elders there as Paul's leaving Ephesus. He tells them this in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or the word is bishops and care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If overseers understand who they care for, this is not a profession to them. It's a divine blessing to care for the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. The Lord of glory condescended and came to this world, submitted himself unto a cruel death on a cross in the place of all of his elect to die for their sins and to bring them the promise of eternal life in glory. And that same great savior says, I'll care for you until you come to the end through my appointed overseers. If you understand 
who is in our care, and you understand the way we see this, I think you will be glad to say, yes, you need to do more excellently in your labor because Christ is worth it. We as elders need to excel still more, saints. I mean, I look at my own life and ministry, and I think there's so many times I've fallen short. And we need you to point out our blind spots because we want to do it better. Remind us that you are the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. He says, you must be careful to do this. And then verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves. Here's why you have to be careful. Fierce wolves will come in among and not sparing the flock. From among you yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Just notice in verse 31 how long and how hard The Apostle Paul labored with this congregation three years, day and night. And he says, as I'm leaving you, I'm leaving this ministry. I'm commending you to the word of God's grace, to his spirit, to the truth. This is what you need to pass on in order to carry out your duty as overseers. You must commend the church to the word of grace. You must teach the word. Pass it on to them personally. Labor with them intently until you see Christ formed in them. That's what pastors are committed to doing. We must be committed to passing on the apostles' teaching because it's their teaching and this doctrine from God's word that is essential to bring about unity in the church, spiritual unity, spiritual protection in the church, and even biblical growth. When I say biblical growth, I don't mean numeric growth, but I mean deep-rooted faith. We must combine the teaching and the personal labor with you ourselves. We're called to do this. We're called as elders primarily to teach and preach the word to you personally as we gather with you in their time of need. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to do this, by the way, when it is popular and when it's not. When it's easy and you like us. And when it's hard and you don't, here's the charge we're given. He says in verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's it, saints. That's what we're called to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We are called to preach the word. Exegete the word, explain the word, equip you with the word, trust in the word of grace to transform you. And any man who thinks he is called to be an elder, a pastor, he needs to understand something. This is your only teaching commission. Preach the word. Don't try to exegete the culture. Don't try to exegete politics. Don't try to exegete biblical growth schemes and entertain the saints. Don't try to give self-help. No, preach the word. It is the word of God that transforms the people of God and brings glory to God. That's what we're called to do. We are called to explain it and apply it. That's our primary role and duty. 
We must make this evident in our labors. You must see us doing this. You must call us to do this. Call us to preach Christ and nothing else. Preach the truth, not our personal opinions. Preach the truth that transforms sinners and leads them to Christ. A pastor must be a biblical instructor. You must primarily, as, as, as you're looking at us, you must see, are we being biblical in our instruction? Are we guiding you faithfully in the scriptures? Pastors to be primarily a biblical instructor and a protecting shepherd. That's what we're called to do. And those aren't contrary things. Those things are woven together in scripture. I don't know if you noticed it, but I just used the word shepherd and instruct to describe what a pastor does and what a pastor is. He's an instructor and he's a protector. And I used it that way. I wrote it down that way because the term shepherd emphasizes the pastor's duty to personally nourish, protect, lead and teach Christ's sheep. That's what we're called to do. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Understand why we're called to do this. According to God's word in this chapter, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to the church. And part of that gifting to the church would be men of God who are called into this service. And here's our commission. This is what we're given for. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. That should be hyphenated, in my opinion and understanding. Shepherd teachers. Here's why he gave us to the church. Why he calls men into this labor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul used a very unique word there to describe the pastor's role. His terminology is, I think, critical in under, understanding what it means to be a faithful pastor. I think it's also critical to understand what our commitment is to you to understand this. Shepherd teacher here describes how pastors must lead Christ's church through their teaching. We must be elders who handle the word honorably. Faithfully teaching. That's what Paul tells Timothy in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. We are to be faithfully teaching the word. And if we do, we receive double honor for this. That's our commission. Now, I've just used these different terms. I don't know if you've caught them or not, but I've used elder and overseer, bishop, shepherd, teacher, all these terms. So what I want to do right now is I want to try to apply a little bit of that to my hopefully giftedness of teaching. And I want to try to explain to you the differing terms and and that they are used to describe what a pastor is in the New Testament. And what you need to understand when we talk about a pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, we're talking about different facets of the shepherd teacher's ministry, his role. First off, we need to understand that the term pastor simply means shepherd. It's not a title. It's not a title. The term shepherd is a descriptor. It emphasizes that the man of God's duty is to personally nourish, protect, lead, and teach Christ's people. Pastor teacher is simply describing how the pastor will do that. It's describing how the pastor leads the people of God. And the Greek word for pastor simply means shepherd. 
It simply means shepherd. And the term reveals what a man of God is to be like in his character. What he's to express in his duties. He is to be a spiritual caregiver and a faithful protector of Christ's sheep. And we do that best by teaching you the word. Laboring with you in the truth. Personally. The other term that's used to describe our role is the word bishop, the word episkopos. We get the word bishop from that. It simply means overseer, too. And and the term describes what the man of God is, is not necessarily like, but it describes what the man of God is called to do. He has to be an overseer, a manager of the spiritual direction of Christ's body. He's guiding, he's directing, he's looking down the road ahead, planning, preparing for the next battle, the next victory, the next difficult day, and understanding how to put it all together in such a way that will help the church as we go forward. The other term that we use here quite often is the word elder. Elder is the word presbuteros, right? Presbuteros. It refers to maturity. The word elder makes sense, right? It refers to someone who we think of as older, but not necessarily in age. The term actually emphasizes what the man of God should exhibit, what he should exhibit. He is to exercise spiritual wisdom as he leads and comforts and instructs Christ's bride. Now, all three of these terms, pastor, overseer, and elder, they all refer to the same office, the office of the man of God. They're used interchangeably. And and back in 1 Peter... Go back there with me. First Peter five, one and two. Here we see all three. This is an amazing text because all three of these terms are united together beautifully to describe the man of God in verses one and two. Notice this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, overseeing, right, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So here, if I was to translate that into a one sentence statement, it would sound like this. The elders are to be good bishops overseers as they pastor, as they shepherd. And and what we need to understand about that is I think that the three terms are used intentionally by God. I know they are because I think that there there's no way to sum up the ministry of Jesus in one word. He is the ultimate elder, the ultimate overseer, the ultimate shepherd of our souls. And we're called to work in in conjunction with him And these multifaceted areas of our ministry come shining through in different terms so that you can see the most benefit as the body of Christ. And these terms simply are used, I think, to reflect the love that Jesus has for his bride in the way we care for you personally as men of God. Kind of sum all this up a little bit. Overseers are simply to be guardians of Jesus's bride. The New Testament overseer is responsible for teaching and protecting her. Shepherds are to provide for and nourish Christ's sheep here on earth. Shepherds are to direct the people of God to green pastures and still waters that are found in God's word. We do that because it's only sound doctrine that will provide both nourishment and rest for the sheep of Christ. 
elders are to guide the body of Christ in all wisdom and grace as they go to the word of God and look down the road at what's coming. Elders are to be experienced in the word of God, biblically wise, faithful leaders that you can see a track record behind. They're to be experienced in handling the word of God. That does take time. It takes a lot of time. Even if you're young, it still takes a lot of time. Even though you're qualified in every other way, it takes time to build this reputation of integrity and faithfulness to the word of God. Now, here's where I want to bring it down to why we do what we do here at our church. I think in order to understand these three terms, how they work together in one role, I think you need to understand what God has done to ensure that this happens faithfully in a local church. God's granted us something called a plurality of elders. He's given us a plurality of elders so that we could actually instruct and protect the church with greater wisdom and direction than we could on our own. Throughout the New Testament, if you do a word search of the word elder, you'll find that it's plural. You'll find that the majority of texts that you look at talk about a plurality in every local church. No matter the size, no matter the circumstance, God knows one man cannot do all that is required of the man who is to stand as the under-shepherd of Christ. We need multiple men standing in this gap, working alongside each other to magnify the ministry of Jesus in the local church. And we know, he knows we need that because he knows that a plurality of elders provides more protection and more nourishment to the body of Christ than any one person could ever give. I, have, I labored here for a number of years by myself when we first planted the church. It was hard labor. And when others came alongside and others came into that role alongside me as co-equals, the burden is lifted. The ministry is expanded. And the saints are encouraged. That's God's goal in this plurality. God ordained this good design, I think, to display Jesus's great love in a more personal way and more productive way to the church. Let me say it like this. A plurality of elders is unique in our day, in our time. But it's a divine design by God for our good. A plurality of elders grants us a greater range of instruction as a church. One elder's ability to teach is now multiplied through the plurality. And that makes for richer and more diverse teaching in the body. And, and I think here, we know this here in our church in particular. We know that we are blessed by the multifaceted gifts of each elder as, as they are woven together in our ministry. But I think one of the greater blessings in that, not just for you, but for us as elders, is that we as elders are now able to build up each other and hold one another accountable to this calling through our unique giftedness. Each man brings something to the table that another man may be lacking. And so there is a greater diversity in our ministry and a greater productivity in our ministry as a result of that. And this plurality also allows for not only a greater range of instruction, but a greater range of protection. There's more protection for a church when the elders work in conjunction with one another as co-equals. In this plurality, there's, there's more accountability among ourselves as elders. There's more discernment. There's more oversight. And there's more blessing to the church as a result. And through this plurality, we, just, we go beyond protection even to a greater range of edification. The plurality of elders allows for the individual abilities and spiritual giftedness of each elder 
to be multiplied, to, to be used to edify the body of Christ when differing needs arise at the moment in the church. And we know here at Sovereign Grace for sure that one man may be more gifted in certain areas than another. One may be better at apologetics or counseling or outreach or administration than another. But when you have a functioning plurality of elders, here's what happens. The Lord grants us a much deeper well of spiritual gifts to draw from as a church family. And I truly believe that plurality of elders that we have here increases the ability and possibility for us to provide greater care for you as a congregation, as God's people. And so I want to end just by saying this. I know without a doubt, I didn't even talk to these three other men this morning before this, but I can say this with all my heart because I know their hearts. I want you to know that all four of your elders, we long to care for you better and more. We long to use our gifts together to personally instruct and comfort and protect you as we serve you as Christ under shepherds. And I truly believe that when churches understand this and when elders lead like this together in unity, I think this kind of leadership magnifies the ministry of Jesus. I think it glorifies our great shepherd's love for his church. So I just want you to know this morning, this is why our leadership functions the way it does here at Sovereign Grace. And I'll add to that, I think I can speak for all the men saying this as well. Serving this church is the greatest and most humbling privilege that we could ever have been given by God himself. And we all desire that you would pray that we would excel at it still more. Keep us in your prayers throughout the week, because what we do is is done ultimately for Christ. And we want you to be blessed by it and encouraged so that Christ would be exalted. So pray that for the glory of Christ, our, our chief and all wise shepherd, that we do this well from this day forward in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are our great provider, our great protector, our great savior. And you didn't leave your church to languish here on earth. You've given us gifts to serve one another with and to ultimately point to Jesus through. And Lord Jesus, I pray that the work that we do here, when we four elders are long gone and forgotten, I pray that the ultimate name that is lifted up from sovereign grace is Jesus Christ. This is our goal. This is our desire now as well and in the future. Let us be forgotten, but let Christ be exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.